like I say, I, I like to learn stuff, and uh, I've come to realize the last week or so that there's a lot of things I don't know about E. coli, and uh, boy, is it in the news right now. As you probably heard, the latest numbers as of yesterday, uh, Alberta Health Service says there are 310 lab-confirmed cases. 310? And that includes 18 secondary infections that were picked up within households linked to the outbreak in Calgary. That's one of the questions I want to get to. We have 21 kids still in hospital. 14 have been discharged. 20 have been diagnosed with the severe kidney blood-related complication that comes after uh, as a result of E. coli. Seven kids are on dialysis. This is pretty serious stuff. So let's find out how E. coli works and how it can end up being what we're seeing now in Calgary. And and then that secondary spread. A lot of questions. So we're going to we're going to chat with our, our resident doc, Dr. Shazma Mathani, who is an emergency physician at the Royal Alexandra and the Stollery Children's Hospitals. Uh, Dr. Mathani, thanks so much for joining us. Always appreciate your time. Yeah, thanks for having me today, Shay. So let's do a little E. coli 101 here, Doc. It's a bacteria, right? And there's many different strains and not all of them are created equal. Is that fair? That's totally fair. So yeah, E. coli is a bacteria, but this, there's a specific strain um, called shigatoxin uh, producing an uh, E. coli that is the strain in question right now. That's the strain that's causing this outbreak in Calgary and causing so many people to get sick and end up in hospital. Okay. Um, and in terms of transmission, food sources, we're looking in kitchens. How is E. coli typically transmitted? Yes, yeah, so there's two uh, kind of common ways uh, that E. coli is transmitted. One is food sources. So undercooked meats, in particular ground meats, uh, fresh produce can carry it as well, contaminated water, um, things like unpasteurized milks and juices. Um, so that's one way. And then a less kind of common way is person-to-person transmission. So at the start there, when you were talking about the household transmission, yeah, that's yeah. likely what's going on. Okay, we'll get to that in a second. First of all, what are the symptoms? I think we know uh, it's gastrointestinal, right? Exactly. So, I mean, in cases that are milder, it could be very similar to kind of the run-of-the-mill stomach virus. Uh, this one is a bacteria, though, so you may get... Uh, diarrhea, vomiting, stomach cramps, sometimes a fever as well. And that's kind of the mild symptoms that you may expect. But in more severe cases, the diarrhea can become bloody. The abdominal pain can become quite severe. The fever can uh, be quite persistent. And then um, there are some complications from the toxin that can occur as well. Now, when we see people continuing to get, um, you know, diagnosed and some of it's secondary infections, but I've heard some in some cases it can take over a week for symptoms to appear. What's the typical timeline post-infection? Yeah, so there's kind of a two-part answer to that question. In terms of the gastrointestinal symptoms, those can occur kind of one to three days after exposure. But that syndrome that you were alluding to, the hemolytic uremic syndrome, um, that's kind of a separate issue that occurs from the toxin that that bacteria produces that's separate from those gastrointestinal symptoms. And there can be a one to two-week lag time after the diarrheal illness where that HUS can occur. Okay, how does that happen? How does this bacteria end up ultimately affecting the kidneys to the point where some of these kids have been on dialysis for a while now. Yeah, so the toxin that the bacteria produces, it's called shigatoxin, and that toxin in particular can cause small blood clots in the small blood vessels in the body. So that includes the kidneys. It has small blood vessels in it. Um, It includes the brain as well. Um, But what we're seeing in one of the kind of major side effects um, from this, uh, this toxin is the kidney disease that we can see with HUS. And so that's what we're hearing about in Calgary with kids ending up on dialysis and having issues with their kidneys. Gotcha. Okay. Is it because they're kids? Are kids more prone to severe outcomes from E. coli? 
So kids are definitely more prone to HUS. So up to 20% of kids who have this strain of E. coli can get HUS. It's less common in adults, and then it spikes again in kind of older adults above the age of 65 to 70. Gotcha. But definitely most common in kids. Gotcha. Okay. Now, as for these kids, uh, you know, a bunch have been released. Some of them are no longer on dialysis. All these are, are these symptoms, and you know, the damage that's being done. Is it totally reversible, or could there be long-term damage because of this? It could be both. So about two-thirds of people who um, end up with severe disease, the kidney disease is reversible in two-thirds of patients um, where they have a recovery of their kidney function. One-third of people can have anywhere from mild to moderate um, kind of lasting permanent kidney disease after having uh, kidney damage from HUS. Okay. Uh, Nobody's died in Calgary. Can you die from an E. coli infection? It seems to me like obviously you could. Yeah, for sure you can. I mean, um, is seeking medical attention early and kind of living living in a place with um, uh, kind of good health care, which is thankfully in Canada we have good good health care. We're in a developed country. Um, it definitely decreases the risk of mortality, but it can be up to five percent. It, it would be it would be unexpected to see that in a place like Canada because we have like ready access to. Um, to things like medical care and things like dialysis in patients that need it. Okay, fair enough. Um, and then the last one, and, and, and again, I'm curious about this. It's not contagious on its own. It's not like a cold or, or something. So um, how, are, how are we seeing household transmission from people who weren't exposed to the original source but were exposed to somebody who caught it from the original source and now they've got it? What's the, what's the method of transmission there, do you think? Yeah, so it's um, very similar to the way that other stomach bugs spread, and it's through uh, vomit and diarrhea and contact with that. And so the route of transmission is from, you know, not hand-washing appropriately. So if there's a parent that's changing diapers with diarrhea, um, it then gets in on their hands or in their food, and then they're kind of ingesting that bacteria. That's how it gets spread from person to person. Okay, all right. So hand-washing is your best defense here, right, And and, and safe food handling. Exactly. So the two major take-homes here are like, yeah, safe food handling and making sure um, that, you know, product is being washed appropriately, avoiding things like unpasteurized milks and juices, um, making sure that your meat is cooked thoroughly and checking the internal temperature of your meat. Uh, And then, of course, like if there's anyone sick at home, whether it's from a gastrointestinal disease or from a respiratory virus, I mean, it's just a good habit to have uh, good hand hygiene at home for sure. Yeah, makes perfect sense. Dr. Mathani, as always, uh, I appreciate your insight so much.